Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Reminder that for the, those attending the new members class, following our Rejoice Hymn Sing, we will have our class at 5.30, but you can come early for the sing to sing, and you can come early if you'd like some pizza as well. Faith and partiality is the title, verses 1 to 7, hear now the word of the Lord. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Father, now we... uh, bow our hearts once again to hear you speak to us through your word. May we hear these truths, take them to heart, and apply them to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we answered a question, and that question was, what is acceptable religion before God? And James taught us that first it's, a, it's faith in Christ that, that, that results in a bridal tongue, a care for the needy, he mentioned, and then a life lived in pursuit of holiness. That is a religion that is acceptable to God. Your words, your hands, and your hearts, all three must be engaged in the service of our King. And so acceptable religion is really, it's an outward expression of an inward heart relationship with God. Christianity is indeed a religion, but it's a religion that begins with a relationship to Christ, and out of that we see the fruit. Well, now, beginning in chapter 2, James tells us that a heart relationship with God is, is this, it's faith In the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now again, it seems that James changed topics, but he doesn't. He just changed terms. He went from religion at the end of chapter 1 to faith in the beginning here of chapter 2. And the change of terms indicates something for us. He's moving from the discussion that he had about the outward expression of acceptable religion, and now he's going to focus in on the inward expression that is found in your heart. It's the same question being answered. What is acceptable before God? An important question. What does God accept? But now James moves from the outward back to the inward. He's saying, what is true faith? What heart attitude uh, corresponds with true saving faith? And he makes it clear in verse 1. 
He says faith and partiality or faith and favoritism are incompatible. Or let me put it differently. To show favoritism is to deny your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so this isn't a mere suggestion. He's not saying, look, everybody, let's just all get along. He's not saying that. Rather, he's saying that it's an indictment on you and me if we show partiality. He's saying, look, you are denying the Lord with your actions. And so let me paint the scene here that James paints. Picture with me two visitors. They come to the church. Maybe they're visitors. Maybe they're new converts. Or they enter the sanctuary, and they're looking for a seat, and they approach the pastor, or maybe they approach the ushers, deacons, elders. And according to verse 2, if we're going to follow James' picture here, one is wearing gold ring, and they have fine clothing. And the gold ring, by the way, was an emblem of the Roman upper class at the time. And the word fine translates to bright and shining. It's actually applied in other passages like Revelation to the clothing worn by the heavenly beings. This person's important. They're, they're an important member of the community. They're a rich man and they have a lot of influence. And they have this great bright and shiny outward appearance. And they, and they come in. To the church. Well, then you got to contrast them, as James does here, according to verse 2, uh, with a poor man in shabby clothing. That word shabby, he used already, it's, it, it describes the sinful filth that Christians must put off in chapter 1. Well, now this man's clothes are, are filthy, and they're shabby. He's poor, and he has no influence at all. And they both approach the pastor. And they both approach the ushers, and, and, and I, as the pastor, look at the rich man and give him special attention, and I give him the best seat in the sanctuary and in the house, while the poor man is told, you go over there, James says, sit down at my feet. And literally, what he's saying is, you don't even get a seat, sit on the floor. Imagine doing that. See, Christians during James' time were were fawning over the rich and treating the poor with scorn and contempt. And do you see the irony? They were thinking that the filth on that man's clothes was a better judge of character than, as we learned in chapter 1, the filth in someone's heart. The filth James told us in 121. Now, several years ago, an article was published I think it illustrates this, unfortunately, of a pastor who was exposed for infidelity. And then more information came out about the pastor. It was a big church. I, I actually don't remember where the church was. And, and they said that when the pastor would appear on Sundays, he didn't talk to churchgoers. A, a team of congregants working as volunteers prevented anyone without the right badge Uh, from wandering backstage, and only a few had clearance to enter the green room, stocked with a lavish catering spread and changes of clothes for the pastor who had particular tastes. Uh, The church seemed to go out of its way, this article says, to cultivate a hierarchy of coolness. 
A reserved seating section was put in the church for VIPs they, in the front of the church and, and then expanded to take up a bunch of multiple rows. And one volunteer said that when high-profile entertainers or sports stars would try to slip into the regular sanctuary where the regular people met, they would be grabbed and brought to the VIP section of the church, a special section. And uh, uh, one said that the staff built this culture and made them a big deal. And, and one of the people on the staff had this to say to the, the writer of this article, a lot of us felt torn because it didn't feel like something we should be doing or that Jesus would do. Now, only if there was somewhere in the Scripture that would help us with that question. And obviously there is. It's right here. What you heard in that article is not a way, I'm not trying to mock another pastor or a church, um, but what you heard is exactly what James is talking about here. And there's example after example. Sometimes it's more subtle. Uh, a, a preacher or an evangelist uh, preaches the Word of God, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ and how he, he came, and, and it's only through Jesus Christ that you are saved, but but over time, what happens is he wants to fit in with the larger culture. And they end up prostituting themselves to these people and, and, and catering their beliefs and, and kind of holding back. James is saying, look, I have a word for you. If you do that, it's incompatible. I have a word for you. It's inconsistent with your faith. Your position in Jesus Christ, the fact that you belong to him, says one thing about you, but your attitude towards others is communicating something completely different, something contrary to your faith. You're denying the faith when you show partiality. Now, when we look here at James... Before we look at detail, James shows that incompatibility of faith and favoritism, I want to give a kind of definition here of partiality so you understand it. James is not saying we're never to judge others. That isn't his point. Show no partiality is actually one long Greek word. In fact, it's only found in the New Testament, and many scholars just believe that the New Testament writers kind of made it up in order to translate a Hebrew word for partiality which literally means to receive or lift up the face, to lift up the face. Uh, to lift up the face or to receive the face means to make judgment about people based on external appearance. And on that basis, based on their external appearance, giving special favor over to one another. And so they see them and say, all right, that person um, is to be treated differently because of the way they look. It's, it's judging on a superficial level. Now, one commentator uh, in this chapter tells a story uh, of a research firm, and they did a test on the way clothing affects how people treat someone. They put a man on the street in a business district of New York City, and, the, and this man would plead for cash and he would say this. He had to say this line. I've lost my wallet and need money for a taxi to the airport. This is my name, address, and phone number. If you loan me the money, I'll repay you as soon as I get home. Now, maybe you've met him. They put the same man in the street wearing the same suit on the same street using the same line on consecutive weekdays. However, when beige, 
I don't know when beige was cool, but when beige was the proper attire, he, he wore a beige overcoat one day, and then he would wear a black overcoat the next day. And they were testing to see what would happen. And here are the results. When beige was the proper attire, he doubled his proceeds than when he wore the black coat. People were giving, they discovered, solely based on something they may not even have been aware of, solely based on the person's appearance and what he was wearing, not based on his merits, if he was even telling the truth um, on his character, which they knew nothing about. See, to, to receive someone or to reject someone based on what they initially appear, appear to be is the meaning of partiality. It, it can include clothes. It can also include race. It can include your position. It, it can include the car you drive, your wealth, your family lineage. We'll hear about a story about that too soon. How a person speaks, how they look, or where they work. And, and let, me, let me also say that the reverse of this is also wrong. We're not to give preferential treatment to someone just because they're poor, for example. To judge anyone based on any of these external criteria in either direction is inconsistent for a Christian. That's what James is saying. Whether you're talking about another Christian or an unbeliever, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're black or they're white, either case, it's sin. To judge them by the outward. It's actually, James says, a denial of the faith. And, and, and at times, it can actually just be really silly. And this is where we come to another story. This one, I don't know where I got this, but it was a story about a Chicago bank that wanted a letter of recommendation uh, uh, for a young Bostonian being considered for employment. Well, the, the investment house could not say enough about this person. This was the recommendation. They were like, well, he, 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 they wrote his father was a Cabot, his mother was a Lowell, and in, in his background, in his lineage, he had the blend of all the top families, first families of Boston. And, and they gave this recommendation for this young man uh, without hesitation. He was praised from beginning to end. Well, several days later, the Chicago bank sent a note back saying that the information supply was inadequate. And they were stunned. How could they not accept someone with such lineage, they said. And, and the bank responded and said, we're not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes, <laughs> just for work. Do you see how showing favoritism, this man had no qualifications, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, maybe not, we don't know because they didn't put him in there, they just talked about his lineage, it can just get silly. And so it's unfitting for a Christian. And James gives us four reasons why. He says, it's partiality is a denial of the faith because one, it's incompatible with the person of Jesus. Incompatible with the person of Jesus. Second, it's incompatible with the purpose of God. Third, it's incompatible for pragmatic reasons. And then fourth, it's actually incompatible with what we learned last week, uh, uh, the pattern of acceptable religion that we looked at in chapter 1. 
And so we're going to quickly go through this. First, it's incompatible with the person of Christ. Look at verse 1. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, James actually is going to refer to Jesus directly only twice in his letter. And both times he mentions um, here and in chapter 2 here, I mean in here in chapter 1 verse 1, he refers to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing strange about that. In fact, that's how uh, it's a common designation throughout the New Testament. What's different here and completely unique is that nowhere else in the Bible is the word glory, as we read, added to the description of Jesus. And so why now? Why is it included here now? Why is Jesus being the Lord of glory, and not just the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord of glory, so important in this context of showing partiality? And and the answer is found in what the meaning of that word glory is. Glory is is shorthand for the personal presence of the Lord and His presence in all His goodness and, and, and His presence in the fullness of who He is, His character. And so God's glory is the display of His goodness and essential character. And that is who Jesus is. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And when James' Jewish readers in particular would have heard this, they would have immediately thought of the Old Testament and they would have thought of the Shekinah glory. Uh, Shekinah means kind of like dwelling or settling. And we read about it in Exodus 40. The, The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord, then what happens? It fills the temple. And, and Moses, it said, could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And, and, and see, Jesus is the Shekinah glory. He, Jesus is God coming down and dwelling and settling with his people. Dwelling within his people. In fact, we are the temple of God if we belong to Jesus. And James brings this reason up to bring to our minds that Jesus is the glory of God because there is actually another glory that's competing for our attention. He's saying, there is Jesus, you belong to him, and he is glorious. He's the Shekinah glory, he's the glory of God. But you know, you're often tempted by the glory of man. And you're going to have to choose the glory of the rich man. The glory of the famous man, the fine-dressed man or woman, the man of status and influence, both are competing for our attention. And, and James is saying, where does your loyalty lie? Where, where does it lie? See, James is writing to people who at their time were giving too much glory to human beings. They were elevating them. And so he asks a question in verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's an if-then clause. If, he's saying, look, if a man wearing a ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, that's a verse 2, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, verse 3, then you have made distinctions among yourselves. 
Among yourselves, he says, means within yourself. The idea is in your hearts. The question is, do you value the Lord's glory above all else? Or, or, or do you allow time for yourself to be led by the world's values, by what the world glories in? Or are you facing both ways? You're facing nominally to the Lord of glory, and actually, though, you're facing to the world of snobbery where you're allowed appearances to control your judgment. We do it. You see why it's so utterly incompatible, though, to show favoritism to the rich over the poor? See, if you have true saving faith in Jesus Christ, then you know that the only reason you can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is because, as Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that in your poverty you might become rich. See, if you're willing to reject Jesus in his poverty well, then you cannot share in his glory. See, Jesus didn't reject you in your poverty. Revelation chapter 3 says, this is what it says. This is how it describes us. You, me, you, all of us, you were wretched. You were pitiful. You were poor. You were blind. And you were naked. That's verse 17. But even though that is all true, Jesus called you, it says, to buy gold from him, white clothes to wear, and and anointment for your eyes so that you could become rich, so that you could cover your shame, so that you could see. You were poor and pitiful. He, He offers to you salvation so that you can see the glory of God in his face. And so James says, take that into consideration, God's glory, and show no favoritism. It's incompatible with his glory. It's actually in complete conflict with your salvation. Paul says it this way, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He's going to tell us the type of people that are, that are, are chosen by God. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Uh, I, I mean, maybe some of you are, but most of us, nah, we weren't too wise. Not much influence out there. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And, and, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And see, that leads to the second point. It's incompatible, this partiality, with the purpose of God. Look at verses 5 and 6. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Now, we can cover this quickly. Look at what the passage says. God chose the poor. Favoritism of the rich over the poor completely contradicts God's uh, choosing in election, his purpose in election. To reject on someone based on merely their wealth or their social status disgraces them who God called, who may be poor. Now, he's not saying they're called because they're poor. 
So the key to salvation is just becoming poor. Any more than he's saying that if you're rich, you can't, you can't be saved. He's not doing that. In fact, that's implied by the word chosen. You see, although the poor are rejected by the world in so many ways, and sometimes rejected by the church, the poor and needy are of supreme worth to God. That's the point James is making that he cares about them. And so showing partiality is, is incompatible with his purposes uh, in election. Whoever God places value on, James is saying, you, you should place value on. And he places value on the poor. And he places value despite appearances is the point. Now, to help us understand how foolish it is to judge someone based on their lack of material uh, uh, their lack of material possession. James has, has, uh, says we're rich in faith. Do you see it? See, true riches are not deposited in banks, says one writer. They're deposited in human hearts. That's where true riches lie. Those of us who here who belong to Jesus Christ, those of us who are saved are rich. The poorest among us that know Jesus Christ are richer than the richest in this world. And, and, and so, despite our worldly status, we are rich. And so, to reject someone because they are poor could actually mean rejecting someone who's your brother and sister in Christ. Rejecting someone who has a common salvation with you. Rejecting someone that God has chosen to be his special possession. It's incompatible with the purpose of God. With the person of Christ, with the purpose of God. Third, it's incompatible with pragmatic reason, for pragmatic reasons. Look at verse 6 and 7. You have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Do you, do you hear what he's saying? You're showing favoritism to these rich people and they're dragging you in the court. They mock you. They're the ones you favor, and, 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 and they're the ones you care about, and they're doing this to you. See, whenever someone favors power, rather than be guided by principle, they, they really end up making a fool of themselves, as well as Christ and his church. Why? Because they end up compromising even denying the faith to fit in with those who have prestige. I, I mention it happens all the time. Christians who start out strong, faithfully proclaiming that Jesus alone is the way of salvation, and then they want to fit in and be popular, and they end up compromising their beliefs. Because if you go out into our world today and you make the statement, by the way, you're all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. By the way, what Jesus himself teaches, you will not be accepted by the rich. Generally speaking, you will not be accepted by the famous, generally speaking. You'll be mocked. And so in order to fit in with that crowd, well, I'm going to lessen my proclamation of that and just talk about Jesus of love, how nice he is, how he can actually make you rich. It sounds like any televangelist you can watch on TV on Sunday morning because it fits the bill for every one of them. Oh, they're well-liked. They have large congregations, but it's incompatible with Christ. That's what James is saying. 
it makes no practical sense to show favoritism. Well, fourth, it's incompatible with the pattern of acceptable religion. We talked about that last week. Um, If anyone thinks he's religious, we talked about bridling the tongue. Um, Undefiled religion is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And see, those who show favoritism fail on all three counts. They don't bridle their tongue. What do they do? They, they hurt the poor with their tongue is the idea. They do not control their tongue. There's verbal snubs are harmful and can wound those who are already struggling in life. I, I, you know, I have some hobbies where I, I enjoy what's called esports. None of you know what that is. You don't need to know what it is. You, you watch it online. It's, it's not as athletic as regular sports, but in either case, they're playing. And the difference here is that people can get online with them and, and comment. And the things people say to others is astounding to me Till I realize if I was their age, I'd probably be doing the same thing. But the point is that the way they mock someone's shoes because they're not cool, someone's, someone's looks, all these things. And if Christians do it, do you see how incompatible it is? We're to bridle our tongue. And, and, and true religion cares for the poor. And what does, what does someone who shows favoritism do? It shuns the poor. It rejects them as a burden. We need more rich people, not poor people. We need their money. We need status. If only a real rich and famous person would get saved, then the church would grow. You hear it often. It's, it's incompatible with biblical religion. Third, it's unstained from the world. Favoritism is utterly stained by the world. It follows the pattern of the world. What's the pattern of the world? Well, just look at society. How many TV shows talk about the poor and ugly? Unless they're mocking them, it's the rich and famous. That's the pattern of the world. Put the most brilliant and brightest and richest in front of us and and we'll gawk at them. That's the pattern of the world. And so uh, a Christian who does that, is not unstained from the world. They've embraced it if they act that way. It abuses the tongue, it insults the poor, and it's stained by the world. And so partiality is incompatible with the pattern of acceptable religion. And so that's what James says. It's incompatible with the person of Christ. It's incompatible with the purpose of God. It's incompatible just for pragmatic reasons. It doesn't make sense, and it's, it's incompatible with the pattern of true religion, as James spelled it out. So what are we to do? Well, it's simple. I mean, it, on the surface, it's simple. Instead of judging a person based on their appearance, based on their social status, instead of immediately judging someone based on the color of their skin, you need to actually take time to get to know someone, to know their character, and what we may discover is that they know the Lord and God is at work in their life. And despite their appearance, despite their clothes, despite their social status, we may discover a brother and sister in Christ where the glory of the Lord is working in their heart and they're looking to conform to the person of Jesus. But we would never know it if we show partiality. It's a practical consideration. Reject partiality. But I want to close with one more truth. In my earlier sermons, I said acceptable religion, those three tests of true religion are actually based on the character of God, who God is. 
God cares for the needy. We know that. How do we know that? Well, he cares for the needy because you and I were in need of salvation and he provided it. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the definition of caring for the needy. And so we need to do the same care for the needy. He, he, he used his tongue for good and not for evil. And so we're to bridle our tongue, use it for good, not for evil. And third, his life-giving word had purpose. When he spoke, he, 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 we were a kind of first fruits. He spoke us into existence at creation, and then he recreated us when he, he saved us and gave us salvation, and we're to kind of be a first fruits. What's that mean? That means that we're to be like him. We're to be holy as he is holy. And, and while that, those three tests is true, this test of true faith, we're to be impartial because why? Because God's impartial. Just like those tests, this test is the same. When you think of the attributes of God, when I've spoken on the attributes of God, I have mentioned the sovereignty of God, that he does what he pleases, that he is all-knowing, that he's all-powerful. We think of those type of attributes, that he's eternal, immutable in his being. But Scripture is clear that God, in relationship with man, is impartial in his dealings with us. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God. He's mighty, Deuteronomy says, and awesome, and then says, who shows no partiality or accepts no bribes. Samuel says, for the Lord God does not look as man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is true of Jesus as well. Do you notice who Jesus, when he was on earth, spent his time with? Was it the rich and the famous? Was it the religious leaders? He didn't kiss up as the saying goes to them. What does it tell us? It tells us that he befriended prostitutes and lepers, tax collectors and sinners. He spent his time caring for the needy. He went to the well of the Samaritan woman when the Jews wouldn't even speak to Samaritans. They would travel around it to avoid them. He went and spoke with them. He had no partiality. He was impartial. See, this is no small matter. It's important. God is impartial. Jesus is impartial. So we're to be impartial, to not judge by outward appearance. We're being called, again, to conform to the image of Christ. You'll see this pattern in James What he's calling us to do is what Christ accomplished. We need to walk as he walked. And yet we fail. And we do judge based on the color of skin or somebody's wealth. It seems like such a small sin, and yet it can undo us, he's saying. And see, even when that happens, this is what's amazing, it magnifies God's grace. Why? Because even while we show favoritism, Christ died for us. And and even while we look down upon the poor, what are we told? Christ became poor for us. See, that, beloved, is the beauty of the, the gospel. That is the truth of the gospel. Christ became the very person we quickly reject. And he became that person in order that we may be saved and become more like him. That's the beauty of the gospel. And, and, and because of that gospel, because you were accepted, 
by Jesus, the glorious Jesus. Well, now, for his sake, he's saying, reject favoritism. He's saying it's incompatible with who I am and what you have become because of me. We are all, all equal at the foot of the cross. That is why it's, a, it's an offense to people. When I first got saved, I can remember thinking, I remember talking to people about the gospel and had somebody say to me, so are, are, are you saying that the president's going to go to hell? It doesn't matter who the president was at the time. And I don't know, but I said, well, just because they're president, they're not going to, you don't think God's just going to let them in? They were the president of the United States. That's how the world thinks. But that's not how Scripture describes salvation. It's surely not how Jesus thinks. Ken Hughes says this. I'll give him the last words. The sea like Jesus, to stand on the level plain at the foot of the cross where poor and rich must come together and live out our relationships to God's glory That is your call, and that is your privilege. Let's pray. Father, I've said it. We show partiality, be it based on riches or skin color, whatever it may be. We like to be where the popular people are. And so we pray, Lord, that you would... uh, through the understanding that we are now accepted in Christ who became poor for us, that we would not show partiality, work in our hearts to free us from that, that all may come to the cross and we would accept them there in Christ's name. Amen.